77, 75, and we're in the final second. The Chicago Bulls have won the 95-96 NBA championship. And the presentation of the championship trophy in just a moment. Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. It's like being in the 90s again. Michael Jordan is relevant and baseball's having labor disputes. I'm Mitchell Kaminsky and with me, as always, is Marshall Macaluso. Um, I think we hit the two-month mark from an absence of basketball recently. I honestly... The, the days, I've said it before, saying in the days of blended together, it seems like eight years and a week at the same time. But we've got some basketball because we're living in nostalgia. That That, that is true. Did you watch any of the UFC? Because they technically had their like live sports back. I'm not a big fight fan, but uh, I heard they had some of their like most uh, bet fights out of all of them because people were so bored and had nothing to do. I saw the one dude got the crap kicked out of him in like highlights. Um, but I honestly am such. I am not a UFC fighter guy. I am not a boxing guy. But I mean, people were live tweeting about a real event that was happening. Yeah, I know it was um, incredible. So it was, was good to see. The one guy like broke his like face or something, which was crazy. But like you said, we're talking nostalgia because of the last dance. Uh, and a couple episodes have came out uh, since our last one, and I think these last two especially have been some of the hardest-hitting ones, but my initial takeaway first is Michael Jordan and I have something in common, which not a whole lot of people can say, is we both spray our drives uh, all over the golf course, and we have each put our pants on backwards at one point. <laughs> so yeah, that left me that feeling was, very good. Fan. He's been to a lot of the games. He was like, "Oh, I remember this. Remember that." And he said, "I never knew that Michael Jordan put his pants on backwards." So there you go. Especially because, yeah. like, he's so like with the shoes and everything, and the baggy pants, and he's so like attentive to details, and he's like generally cleans up pretty nicely that you wouldn't yeah. think that'd be something. But I, it just goes to show how nervous he was when he came back. Yeah. Uh, which you wouldn't think for Michael Jordan that he, you know, that's it slipped his mind. Um, yeah. Before we get into some of the nitty gritty too, this was one of the other things. One of the big uh, themes of this episode was what it was like with Jordan as a teammate and how he would push you. And, you know, he's not the first uh, teammate to, like, scream at others in practice. But this was my – and don't get me wrong. I have enjoyed this series immensely. I enjoyed these past couple episodes immensely. But I had some problems with the narrative they're trying to push because The Last Dance would like you to believe that the Bulls won all those titles because Michael Jordan was an asshole to his teammates. Uh, and he even shed tears at the end when he was trying to explain why he was treating his teammates so poorly. Look, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Break. And I get he's trying to push him to be better and all of that, and that's fine. I have nothing wrong with his leadership style, but that is not why the Bulls won titles. The Bulls won titles because Michael Jordan was the best player on earth, Scottie Pippen was the second best player in the league at the time, and Dennis Robin was the best rebounder in the sport. It wasn't because Jordan punched Steve Kerr in the eye or made fun of Scott Burrell or any other nonsense the show was trying to throw out there. Um, he said, I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. And I'm not saying he's a bad teammate, but the reason he wanted to win was for Jordan. Jordan wanted to win for Jordan, and there is nothing wrong with that. I mean, nobody talks about J.R. Smith ending Cleveland's title drought. They talk about LeBron James doing it. And same with, like, John Paxton. No one says three-time. He's a three-time champion. He led, like, no, they Jordan led the Bulls to three championships in a row. Uh, he had the six titles. Like, all the pressure was on Jordan, just like all the pressure would be on LeBron when he's, like, 
winning and or losing titles, which you see. And I think Jordan understood that, and he was so competitive. He's like, look, I don't want to lose a game in the finals because you miss a shot or blow something, so that's why I'm pushing you hard in practice. It's not because, oh, I'm a great teammate, and I want you all the experience winning, and I'm going to take you there. It's like, he, he was doing because he's competitive, and he wanted to win. And, you know, being an asshole to his teammates wasn't why they won in the end. Well, going off that, I totally agree. Um, and the one thing, too, is that, like, they, they really, 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 well, in my opinion, they kind of glossed over the fact this was the, that that Bulls team, when they when they set the record with 72 and 10, I believe, mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's one of the greatest teams, if not probably the greatest team we've ever seen play the sport of basketball. You know, and I, and I don't, and it's just too bad they couldn't appreciate it. The whole thing with Steve Kerr, I mean, Steve Kerr looked like a bum. They, that, I mean, that's what they made out to be. If I had never watched basketball, and I had no idea about any basketball, and I just watched this documentary, I mean, Steve Kerr, you know, the, these guys look like a bunch of bums. Teammates, they're like, you know, he motivates them to win. And the statement of, like, I want to win, but I want them to win too, I mean, it's, it, he's asked, I don't know, that, that, that quote comes off to me as, like, these guys can't win by themselves. Um Obviously, then Michael Jordan. So he's like you said, he's a standout. No one's talking about you know Paxson. But I mean, Steve Kerr, he's no chump. He he's a great mm-hmm. three point shooter. He sets a ton of records. I mean, he's ranks number two, five, and eight all time on the NBA's list of single season leaders in three point shooting percentage. That that is that's crazy. And to just and to just put him in there as the guy who like got you know punched in the face and then he he punched Michael and that made him earn his respect. I don't know. It, I, I totally agree that the narrative of that whole section was a little. It was it was a little off. And the other thing too that I think has been severely remiss, and I don't know if it's because the dude doesn't want to do interviews or anything, but like they talked about Dennis Rodman for like an episode, and then I kind of forgot he's on the team. You know, mm-hmm. part of that I is mean, too. Yeah. When you in ten hours sounds like a lot of time, but like you only have yeah. an hour per episode, so everything you want to add, you have to yeah. take something out, which I can understand. And I think Steve Kerr is gonna get, from what I understand, uh, more of his due in the coming episodes, uh, where they're gonna showcase him a little bit more, because he and Michael really did have a lot in common, and I think Michael truly does have respect for him because both their fathers were murdered, um, and Steve Kerr was like no slouch. He was tough, and like you said, he he was a champion elsewhere. I think he made some big, he made a couple big shots for the Bulls. So um, I think he's gonna get his credit later in the series, which I hope. And I and it's not to say Jordan was like a bad teammate. Um, which yeah. that's oh, not okay. what I'm trying to, it's just not like, he's trying to make it sound like this is why we won is cause I was a dick. It's like, no, you weren't cause you were a dick with the wizards too. And they didn't win. You lost, like you weren't as talented in your late thirties. And that, that's, that's what showed. Um, now that being said, I think it, it might've helped them get a little bit better. Uh, yes. not discounting that, but I don't know. I think they're trying to push that narrative a little too strong. The second Biggest thing, and this one was kind of glossed over in that last episode, so I'm interested to hear your take, but I have found, and I know it's kind of like the, it's not really officially the Michael Jordan documentary, it's about the 90s Bulls, but it's like kind of the Jordan documentary, but the most interesting character for me, this entire series, has been Scottie Pippen, he has been fascinating to me and it's kind of a roller coaster of emotions so he grows up in a household with nine siblings and one of them's in a wheelchair so that's obviously hard he's the equipment yeah his equipment he's the equipment manager for his college team in some small school in arkansas uh he signs the long-term deal so like help his family out and jerry crow or um jerry reinsdorf is telling him like hey i wouldn't sign that if i were you but he's like no i want to help my family i'm getting the immediate money and then he's like yelling at kraus later uh because he's underpaid so you kind of feel for him but then he's sitting out the opening part of the series and he's like oh i don't want to mess up with this summer i'm putting off surgery and jordan calls him selfish and then earlier in the episode jordan's saying uh there you can't say michael jordan without scotty pippen so it's like oh he gets his due again and then he's called selfish later so now you kind of don't like him and then he's guarding magic for court and now it's like oh he looks great again he has that great 94 season when jordan leaves he's out of his shadows and then he quits on his team with 1.8 seconds then all of his teammates are talking about what a great teammate he was he's picking him up they all love him and then they go back to him and it sounds like he's about to apologize and he's like yeah i would do it again and that's like the worst thing to do in sports is quit on your team and i've had such an emotional roller coaster of whether i like him or not or whether he comes across good or bad i think he's been fascinating this series 
Yeah. No, that was absolutely shocking. I mean, I was watching it, um, and my dad was telling me about how, you know, that shot with Tony Kukoc where uh, Pippen sat out was 1.8 seconds, and everyone in Chicago, that 1.8 number stood out. And I, I honestly, I mean, I've played some sports throughout my life. i played football. I, I can't imagine a, a, a teammate quitting on you, winning a playoff game on a buzzer beater, and then everyone's depressed going to the locker room. You got a teammate, the Cartwright, I believe, shed yeah. tears because, you know, your leader, your top dog, just quit on you like that. Um, and the, But the shocking part is, I mean, they made a big, I don't know if Scottie Pippen, I'm assuming he didn't watch the film that they showed before he answered that question because to have, you know, Steve Kerr and all these guys talking about, like, how much of a massive letdown it was. And then just to him, see him say, yeah, I'd do it again. It's like, what? <laughs> no. Like, how can you say that? Like, even if you truly, even if you truly believe that, you, how would, in what world would you say that and not expect everyone to think you're like this massive asshole? You know? And Jordan said it best. terrible. Yeah. And Jordan's like, yeah, he's like, he said he called Phil afterwards and he's like, he'll never live this down. And it's so true. I can't, because he had such a good year that year. Like, they said he yeah. ran the triangle better than Phil's ever run the triangle. He's such a facilitator out there. He was third in the MVP voting. He was the All-Star Game MVP that year. And he did something that's very rare in NBA history. I think only five other guys have done that. He led the team in scoring, rebounds, assists, blocks, and steals. And I think they said only five other guys have done that. I know one of them was um, LeBron James. But it's very rare company. And then you just kind of like throw it all away because no one remembers that because the 1.8 yeah. seconds thing was just shocking to me. Um, yeah. So he's been the yeah. guy I've been most interested in. And even in the Dream Team, too, people forget. He led that team in assists, too. He was great on that team. Um, you know, yeah. really underrated and, player. And it's unfortunate it gets overshadowed. I, uh, yeah, no. And I, I do think, I mean, that's kind of what I've come away with this. It's real unfortunate he's been overlooked. Um, because, I mean, you kind of see him, and it's too bad because a lot of people potentially can remember Pippen when, oh, he's just the Batman, or he's the Robin to Jordan's Batman. Um, he has this one season with the Bulls, they show out, they can't get past the Knicks, that's fine, you know, a tough, tough matchup there. Um, and they almost, said, too, they almost won that series. There was a phantom yeah. foul, and, like, the, that could have changed the whole series. The next game, he had that dunk over Patrick Ewing where he posterized him. Like, they almost won that series. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, when he has this great series, they lose, but all kind of it's overshadowed by the 1.8 seconds where he sits out. And then he goes to Portland, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and and that was kind of, you know, he was, he was good statistically, um, but it, he, he was at the end of his years, um, career-wise, and so it doesn't, I mean, it's shown, but yeah, I know, that's, that's interesting, especially because, I mean, Pippen's talking about this season, he's like, you know, we didn't have the alpha male. It's like, dude, you're in the alpha male, what are you talking about? Like, I get you're not calling your teammates a hoe, but you're still leading them in all these categories and making a playoff push, um, just to just, but, you know, it is what it is. The biggest problem with that team is, like, and they blew a lead, people forget, like, that game, like, the Bulls were up by 22 in the fourth quarter, and they blew the yeah. lead because, like, and they, I think a lot of guys said, like, they were missing Michael Jordan because he was the closer on that team. And then uh, they kind of had to have Tony Kukoc, like, make all the big shots, and they showed, like, throughout the season he was making most of the big shots. Myers triggers the inbounds pass. Kukoc for the win! Um, and yeah. from what I was reading, I think what offended Pippen most is that he wasn't even out there as a decoy. He was mad that Phil put him in to inbound the ball, which I don't know. I yeah. think it's still pretty stupid and egos get in the way. But um, it's it, it really is a shame there. But, like, another thing, too, which is also interesting, and it was kind of relevant because they just showed him playing the uh, Supersonics in the 96 series that last episode. But... Um, they had a, the Bulls had a trade in place after that because Kraus was apparently pissed after like that '94 season, and this is kind of where like things started going sour between them. He didn't really want to pay Pippen, so he tried to trade him um, for Sean Kemp, and they had the deal done. Uh, the coach of the uh, Sonics, um, um, oh, uh, Rick, Rick, Rick Carlisle. Carl, 
Yeah, yeah Rick Carlisle. They he agreed to it, and ownership agreed to it. But then the trade got leaked in Seattle, and the Seattle fans were like rioting in the streets that the Rain Man was going to leave. Which, by the way, that might be the coolest nickname in NBA history, the Rain yeah. Man. Uh, so the deal didn't get done, and Kraus is still trying to trade him. So Pippen's sitting there. He's like, "Well, they don't want to pay me." Uh, they tried to trade me. I can see why he didn't like Chicago, but I can also see where Kraus is kind of upset with him. So, very dynamic yeah. character. Anyway. Another quick, speaking of trades, another yeah. quick nugget. I mean, it, we talked a lot about um, that. The, they, I, it was a while ago, but they talked about that trade deadline where Pippen was almost out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, they had a trade in place to trade uh, to, uh, Scotty Pippen for Tracy McGrady. Uh, and it was ready to go. And then Michael Jordan himself. Uh, did not want did didn't want that one to go through, so it didn't happen. That would have been. I mean, watching T Mac and Jordan play together, that would have been insane. That would have been insane. But you know, like Michael said, there was no uh, Michael Jordan without Scottie Pippen. Like he never won without exactly. Scottie, and Scottie never won without him. And Scottie was on some good teams in uh, Portland and Houston. So that yeah. was interesting. And speaking of Michael Jordan, we now bring in a guest who had the chance to interact with Michael Jordan. Uh, he is Keith Kelly, a actor former on-air personality, and most importantly, my uncle. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Oh, pretty good sound quality there. So you had the chance to film Michael Jordan behind closed doors. How did this opportunity come about, and uh, what were you filming him for? Well, I own my own video production company, Innovative Communications, and back in the day, this was 95, I believe it was, I did a lot of work with an international public relations company, and they were handling the PR for Michael when he was opening up his first Michael Jordan Golf Center in Aurora, Illinois. They booked me to film everything going on over the two days. Day one was for the investors, and day two was for the invited public. What was Michael Jordan like? Well, Michael seemed pretty much like you'd expect Michael to be. He was larger than life, full of energy, full of vitality, knew his place in the world, but also didn't seem too full of ego, full of himself with it all. Pretty down-to-earth while being larger than life, if that makes sense. The Last Dance have done a really good job showcasing how competitive Michael Jordan was. Did you see any examples of his competitive side come out? I got to see a little bit of Michael's competitive side on the first day of filming. First day was for investors, second day was for the invited public and for the press. So on day one, first of all, Michael shows up about an hour late, but Nobody was complaining. He actually drove himself in one of his sports cars. He was really amazingly chill and actually looked happy to be there. The competitive moment, which was also one of the funniest moments, was as Michael was conducting a tour of the grounds when he decided to hit a couple of balls at the putting green area. So he lines things up, hits his first ball, and shot one goes right down the middle and just slides by the hole. The whole crowd let out a little collective gasp. So he lines up another ball, hits it, again, right down the center, and it rolls around the hole, but not in. So one of the investors shouts out, I bet you a dollar you get the next one. So Michael paused, smiled his great big Michael Jordan smile, and said, oh no, I bet you a dollar, and the next thing you know, the press will say, I bet you a thousand. And with that, of course, he sinks the next putt. What was the second day with the invited public like? And have you ever seen a similar public reaction for any other celebrity you had the chance to film? I'm not sure if I've ever experienced anything quite as wild as that day. The second day was for the invited public, and it was a lot like a Beatles concert. I never attended one, but I've seen that footage, which you probably have also, You know where the girls are in the crowd just screaming, 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 getting held back from cops, getting passed out. That was the vibe in the air. So Michael shows up late again, and once he gets out the door of his car, the crowd went absolutely crazy. I I almost went deaf because there was a lady behind me just shouting at the top of her lungs, Michael, Michael. And then as he walks by me and I'm filming that, somebody else yells out, I touched him, like as if they had just touched Jesus Christ himself. Pretty wild. Of all the celebrities you had the chance to work with, who would you say the most difficult was? Probably the most challenging. I think that's a, probably a better way of, of saying it than difficult. Challenging celebrity was Elizabeth Taylor. I filmed her a couple of times, both times where she was promoting new perfumes. First one was White Diamonds. 
So she had these big events at Marshall Fields, the former Marshall Fields. Now it's Macy's on State Street in Chicago. And the, the element I really felt bad about was Gary Fensick, who was one of the 85 Chicago Bears, was acting as the MC for the evening. So he was there to warm up the crowd, introduce Elizabeth Taylor, and then Elizabeth Taylor comes out. So he was supposed to be out there for about two, three minutes. Well, five minutes goes by, 10 minutes goes by, 15 minutes goes by. I get the word from somebody that she's upstairs still messing with her hair and makeup. Didn't like quite how it turned out. Poor Gary Fensick. He wasn't a, a natural MC. And he's up there flop sweating because, again, he thought he was going to say a couple of words, introduce her, get off the stage. He was up there for about an hour, an hour, and I could see the pain on his face. So, so that was uh, one sign of, of Elizabeth being a little bit uh, challenging to work with. The other part that directly affected me, the Gary Fensick part, part was just sort of, <laughs> it, was, it was funny. Yeah, I'm sorry for Gary, but it was sort of funny watching him struggle through all that. But the part that directly affected me was for load into the gear. We had just about a semi-truck full of gear to populate all of Marshall Fields with monitors, video projectors, speakers, 30 wireless microphones for questions from the audience, all this stuff. And we could not use the freight elevator because they just painted it violet, which was Elizabeth Taylor's favorite color, for her to walk through from the freight alley into the freight elevator, and into the store, a whole about five, six steps. So for that little entrance of her, we couldn't use the freight elevator, and we had to go in one little case at a time through the regular people doors, not the freight elevator. So it took us a lot longer to load in because of the purple elevator. What was your biggest takeaway uh, from that experience with Michael Jordan? I guess the biggest takeaway was how laid back Michael could be in the midst of Bedlam. So on day two, this is the day when the public was there and also the reporters, it was, it was just nuts. There's tons and tons of people, lots of reporters, lots of camera people, and everyone was trying to jockey for position to get closer to the big man as he was conducting interviews one at a time. Well, things started to get heated as one reporter really started to get into the face of one of Michael's bodyguards. Not really a good idea because these bodyguards, they were big dudes. To Michael's big credit... He didn't throw a hissy fit as the interview was disturbed, as a lot of celebrities would. He just paused, looked at the fighting reporter and his bodyguard, and said, Hey, both of you guys, chill out. And to the reporter, We'll get to you, buddy. We're all here for the same thing. Just relax. So I've seen just the opposite reaction from some other celebrities, so I really give Michael a lot of credit. He showed a lot of leadership then. Nah. <laughs> Our, our final question, so we've kind of had this running joke on the podcast. Um, when it comes to LeBron James, has obviously been mentioned a lot with the Michael Jordan um, documentary. Um, we've gotten close to finding the answer for LeBron. We got very close with Sean Livingston one time. But um, I need to ask you, does Michael Jordan's breath smell? <laughs> well, I never got that close to really smell Michael's breath. I think if I would have, his bodyguard would have pushed me back a few yards. But knowing Michael, it was probably minty fresh. All right. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. That was Keith Kelly, everybody. All righty. Um, that was pretty good, actually. You can tell he's a professional by the superior sound quality. Uh, Marshall, we'll get there. We'll get there one day. But yeah, he's been around. Um, uh, he, he was at Disco Demolition Night as well for the White Sox, so we'll have to have him back on sometime and discuss that in a later date. But uh, always, always a good uh, story uh, with Keith. Moving on, uh, the other big, another big uh, theme in these episodes was it's hard to be like Mike, and I didn't even realize it, which I guess it makes sense. But they really showed like the where, how hard it was because you know we're quarantined and it kind of stinks. And he couldn't even leave his apartment. He was quarantined before quarantining was popular. Um, <laughs> you know he's leaving his house and he's getting swarmed by all these people. He's asking to go to back rooms of restaurants. Um, they showed when he was retiring just at that White Sox game alone. People were trying to run into the box and get to him. So I can see where that would be very uh, stressful and truly hard to be uh, like. Um, yeah. So here's my question for you. Would you rather be? Am I you keeping your same family and everything? Just yeah. so none of the personal stuff. So you're not married to Michael Jordan's wife. Um, 
But would you rather be Michael Jordan or Matt Caesar? Now hear me out. It sounds crazy. But when Matt Caesar, yeah, you can go to restaurants. Your net worth two million dollars. You're not beaten up by the Pistons, and you have a 2016 World Series ring. But on the other hand, you're Michael Jordan. So who would you rather be? Oh, I don't know if I specifically be Matt Caesar. Um, we're talking about Cubs, Matt Caesar, right? Cubs, Matt Caesar. Okay. 2016 World well, Series I was, champion. I was trying to think of what other Matt Caesars are there. Exactly. You walk no. down the street, no one knows who you are. Honestly, uh, I don't know. I think I would rather be the Matt Caesar type. Um, first of all, I like ba- I'd rather be good at baseball than be good at basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, I don't know about that. I'd probably rather, but I don't know. Basketball, you're a bigger brand. You're probably but making a little baseball more Baseball is a very fun sport. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the fame, I, I can't even imagine. I would, I would, I would probably hate it. I know now, see, now it's nice because, you know, there's this anonymous online presence that a lot of people have, so I can have my burner Twitter account and everything like that. Um, but I don't know, just to have everyone up in your business like that, and I think we kind of saw, and, and media's definitely gotten worse with this, um, with the, like these crazy theories that are, that go around, especially with like, Michael Jordan's dad dying, and like mm-hmm. the, the gambling and that whole thing surrounding it, um. I'd rather be Matt Caesar. I think you're still making money. You're yeah. as much money as Michael Jordan, but no, you're not. But you know, a two million dollar net worth is not chump change. So you could still buy all the Jordans with that type yeah, of money. Exactly. But on the other hand, you know, you're a global icon, which would be hard to turn down. Yeah. But I think I think I'm with you. I think I would go. I think I would go Matt Caesar. Um, yeah. The other one too. I don't think I've ever seen that clip of Michael Jordan after he won. The uh, 96 with finals the with the crying and like you could hear yeah. it, which is like crazy. The whole documentary seeing Jordan kind of being emotional was like pretty powerful because you never like you really see because one, he doesn't talk much. Uh, and two, you would think he wouldn't be like honest, but like you could tell he was giving genuine, honest answers. And they, you see like the yeah. back behind the scenes. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I will say um, before we move on to your next point, when we kind of hit on it. Um, when Michael Jordan, before this documentary, uh, came out, um, he was like, you know, people are going to watch it and think I'm like a dick or like this mean person, you know, which is fair. And I think everyone was like, oh yeah, you punched Steve Kerr in the face. You called his teammates bitches all the time. Of mm-hmm. course, they're going to think he's not a great person. Um, but honestly, and that was to be expected. So maybe that's why I believe this, but I think the real thing that kind of mars his, um, uh, image uh, or his character is the Tony Kukoc thing. Uh, when, especially in the, and I don't think this was the last time we didn't get around to talk mm-hmm. to it. Um, but with the whole Olympics, and you got this, I mean, he's what, 19, 20 years old? Yeah. Going against the second or best, I mean, besides the 2012 Olympic team, it's probably the best the basketball team ever assembled in the history of basketball, like when, all, when it's all said and done. Yeah. I mean, no one had a chance. That was that was a foregone conclusion. They were going to win the gold medal. And you got this kid from uh, Croatia in the middle of a civil war. He's 19 years old. And just because, you know, Jerry Krause thinks highly of him. And I, under, I, I totally understand why they can be pissed off at Jerry Krause. But this kid's done nothing. And to, like, beat him up and then be like, oh, yeah, he's going to be garbage in the NBA. Are you kidding me? Right I think now? that was Pippen that said that. Pippen well, yeah, said he's but, not going mean, to be. But, he so. said that, but they both they both felt pretty strongly yeah. about it. Um, and and they both had this like secret, you know, uh, locker room thing where they're going to take him down. Yeah. And I think Tony Kukoc, uh, he comes back in the second game and plays a lot better mm-hmm. and gained more respect for him. But I mean, this dude's going through. He's got a, he's got a kid. His country's going through a civil war. Uh, and to say that he's not like mentally tough and to like trash him like that, I thought that was totally out of line. And even with, you know, and this is more Pippen, but with, like, when he gets on the team and they still think he's, like, this new kid, I mean, man, that was tough. That was tough. And I think Michael Wilbon tweeted, like, that was the first time that, in his experience, he saw Jordan, like, being out of line when it comes to this stuff. Because that was, that was a bad look. I, yeah, I, I somewhat agree. I think people, Pippen saying that he's not ready to play in the a- NBA, like he's not going to make it there. That was that was uncalled for, and I can see we're ganging up on him. Was def- it definitely was a bad look, 
But from his competitive side, I, he just looks for ways to motivate himself. And like you saw in the 93 finals, he's like, Kraus likes Dan Marley. He thinks he's a good defender. People think he's better than me. It's like, well, no, no one thinks Dan Marley is better than you. But he was attacking Dan Marley all series. Um, so I think that was part of it. He's just like looking for a way to like motivate himself. But to your point, too, and I totally agree with this. Uh, Tony Kukoc, the fact that he came back the second game and had a very solid game was very impressive. I've loved Tony uh, this series. I think he's a very likable character, especially, you know, he's sitting in that big old chair and they're talking about the 1.9 and he's like, oh yeah, I hit big shots. Sometimes I hit shots at the beginning of the game, sometimes I don't a game. No big deal. It's like, I love this guy. This guy is so cool. Um, the um, yeah, and we were talking about the dream team too, and that was kind of the next thing I was going to. Uh, the practices there were insane. I would love to like watch all the tapes of the trash talking. I didn't realize they had some of them where you see Magic Johnson punching the ball <laughs> into the yeah. stands. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. Um, do you believe? So we're going a little conspiracy theory route, and this is another thing highlighted. Do you oh, believe yeah. the gambling theory? Because I kind of had, I kind of believed it for a while, and then the more I thought about it and watching this, I mean, you listen to some of these reporters and everything, and like how much sense it would make, it really doesn't make that much sense. Uh, one is trainer said after the uh, before the Olympics, he's like, well, yeah, I got to play the Olympics, um, and then I'm gonna play one more year because no one else. Larry Bird or Magic didn't win three in a row, so I got to do that, and then I'm gonna go play baseball, and then I think he said. Or that was an author that said that. Someone that knew him closely. His trainer said that after the finals, they, he asked yeah, when we should start. Best friend or something like that. Yeah. Um, his trainer, Tim Grover, asked him, he's like, oh, when do you want to get ready? And he's like, oh, start preparing for baseball. When we were celebrating, I said, listen, I'm going to get to work on next season. And he had, and he whispered in my ear, he said, baseball. At him. I was like, baseball? He goes, yeah, baseball. So even a year before they had even started going to prepare for the three-peat, he had already mentioned to me baseball. Maybe there's some legs there. And also the fact that he's your biggest moneymaker. It doesn't really make much sense to suspend him for a yeah. year. Uh, also the fact that like they had no proof that he was like gambling. You know, He was, he was playing golf with some guy named Slippery Pete or whatever the hell his name was and <laughs> losing money. And I don't think that's like a huge deal because people gamble on the golf course. So like the whole thing kind of just didn't make sense to where I'm sort of believing like, yeah, I don't think the gambling theory actually has any legs yeah. and he was suspended. Uh, what say you? Yeah, I, before this came out, I was in agreement. I mean, we love, we love a good conspiracy theory, especially when it comes to sports. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of agree. I love David Stern. I think he's a fantastic human being, and when he died, that was a, that was a true shame. Mm-hmm. And, and you saw just how impacted he was. Um, and I kind of believe him when he said that it like that's just a bunch of baloney. Um, but I will say, I will say, like I don't see it like as a theory because people were like, it's cracked out, it's stupid, yada yada yada. Um, and like as a theory, and I think the first—I don't remember her name—the NBA reporter when she when they first introed it, she was like, you know, all of this stuff kind of happens, and then he just randomly walks away. That raises some questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, true. And I could totally see. I mean, I'm trying to think of like like Tom Brady, and and, and you know, Tom Brady obviously like cheating in with the flight gate is different than gambling off the field, but at the same time. It is something that can potentially bring a scandal, you know? Mm-hmm. And if Tom Brady won three straight rings and said, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to go play cricket. It's like, uh, what? Like, yeah. I get now, obviously the father dying made it make sense. Um, yeah. And so, and, and he was, and he definitely seemed very at peace when he walked away from the game. So that's why I don't believe it's this conspiracy theory, but in time, if that happened today, I think there'd be a lot of people asking questions. Well, like, raising what's going for on? Sure. You can't just walk away. You're one of the best right now. Yeah. No, one, uh, for sure. I completely agree where it would kind of have legs. But I think as yeah. time's gone on, the notion kind of seems silly now. Getting into his baseball career, I think Tim Tebow looked fantastic. He was one of the big winners from that episode. Because you yeah. see how hard it was. And for Michael, and you know, I always look at him as like a bad baseball player. And I think he still kind of, he, he was, like, if you look at the numbers, he was not a good baseball player. But I do, like, agree, like, the odds were kind of dealt against him. The fact that you have to go to double A 
and that's a pitcher's league. You have guys that are throwing really hard. So he and he's in his 30s. He hadn't played since high school, which is tough. Um, and you know he did hit above 202. The uh, Matt Terry Francona, who's no slouch as a manager, gave him some pretty high praise there, and he stole over 30 bases, which is also pretty impressive. So I did gain a little bit more respect for him as a baseball player and how hard it was, and it was kind of eye-opening, which they said, well, if he had a couple thousand more at-bats, I think he could have made the late majors. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I think he could have been, especially his work ethic, he could have made a, a solid uh, baseball player. And uh, Tim Tebow, I think, you know, we give him a lot of crap, and it's kind of the same thing. He's made AAA already, and he hadn't played since high school. Um, I think he's. I, I have a lot more respect for him now too yeah. as a baseball player. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I think um, it kind of shows that like this trend that has definitely come towards now, where like I don't know, you kind of want to see people, you want to see the rise and the fall as an observer. Um, and so I agree, like especially that Sports Illustrated where they're like, and when everyone's coming at him, it's like I think. I mean, I, I think nowadays it's pretty much. Uh, agreed upon that hitting a, a major league baseball is one of the hardest things to do in sports. Mm -hmm. um, and to, like you said, to go for high school and then you're 31, 32 years old and you're trying to hit uh, in, in double A. I mean, I, I can't imagine, I mean, I'm no athlete, but I can't imagine that like just walking into the minor leagues and just, just playing. Yeah. Um, and hitting 202, I mean, it, and they're like, you know, he had this hit streak and it was a fluke. I mean, and then they're like, well, he can't hit the breaking ball. I'm like, it's pretty hard to hit a breaking <laughs> ball in double A, man. Like, yeah. You're acting like people, the, the, the notion that any, uh, there would be any correlation between his basketball prowess and his baseball abilities. It's like, those are two. Oh, it's completely, completely different. Mm -hmm. things. And like you, you especially know? for baseball, it's so leg oriented. And he even said like basketball, when you're building a basketball body, it's more shoulders and like chest. So he had to build like a ton of leg strength. Uh, Bill Melton was saying that his swing when they were trying, because he came in to try and help him with it, started off like really long. So it's hard to catch up with like a breaking ball uh, there too. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was an excellent point. Um, yeah. Boy, it, Imagine being in Birmingham and all of a sudden you get Michael Jordan coming to your town. That'd be yeah. crazy. That'd be, that would, I will say, though, I can totally understand why he did it, too. Because, like, especially, like, minor league sounds fun if you're already a millionaire and you don't have to worry about a paycheck. Mm. You know? Because that's the whole thing. Like, yeah. you're playing for the love of the game, but you're also got to be an Uber driver at the same time for these minor league guys because they're not making anything. But for Michael Jordan, who's already won three championships, he's got it made to just go drink beer in the clubhouse, a bunch of, you know, 20 something year olds who are trying to make it. Yeah. That seems, that, that seems like it would be the perfect thing to do to kind of get away from the spotlight. Yeah. And they treated him like one of the guys. Like, you don't have, like, you know, they're not like, oh my God, it's Michael Jordan. Like, you see him, like, razzing him. And Ozzie Guillen once told, like, a great story where they were trying to, uh, he, Michael Jordan hustled him in pool one time yeah. uh, or like another one where him and Joey Cora were playing them and pick pick up one time for basketball and they were like trash talking them and then all of a sudden Michael went off on it but like yeah so just like little things like that uh, I think would yeah. be cool it'd be interesting to see if he would have how long he would have stuck with it if it wasn't for that strike yeah. and then 94 because I think do the Bulls get him back after it because it looked like he was enjoying himself I, I don't know it would be it would be interesting but what a what a great moment. And they showed it in the documentary, like when he threw out the first pitch and announced he was retiring, the White Sox were in the, in the uh, if it wasn't for the strikes, they're coming off a great year uh, in 94. Um, that clubhouse too, in spring training, you got Frank Thomas, MVP. You got Bo Jackson, who's probably the best athlete that ever lived. And then you got Michael Jordan walking in there. What a star studded spring training that had to be. Um, yeah. Finally, final thing for the last dance. And this is one of the, this is actually one of my big, uh, takeaways where I kind of wish it was like this today more. Now, I'm not, before I get into this, because I, I think I'll get a little pushback from me, I'm not equating, like, physicality with, like, good, like, the Pistons tackling people doesn't equate to good basketball, just because it's harder to score. That being said, when they showcased that Bulls-Knicks rivalry, it really made me wish the NBA had rivalries like that today, 
But I think because players move around so much, it will likely never happen again. But like you see Bulls Pistons, Lakers Celtics, uh, even the Celtics Pistons, like some of these rivalries there, man, were intense. And I think that it's great for the game. I think the Celtics Lakers rivalry really saved the game in general. But like you look at some of these 90s uh, rivalries and they were fierce. I wish it was, uh, I wish it was like that uh, more uh today and i think last week you said something like where some of the players mentalities are like soft back then which i think it's a little different like between giving like michael them giving michael jordan respects a little different but if you like look like uh kurt rambis is getting clotheslined uh, isaiah thomas had his like nose broken a couple times from these guys like they truly did not like each other and i think that's partly what made the uh, 92 dream team practices so intense is because they had legit rivalries where i mean today you really just don't see it they're all kind of more more buddy buddy like Kevin Durant can bounce around team to team and I mean you have like the Westbrook rivalries like the small ones but like generally speaking like most people don't have the problem with each other today yeah yeah and I think it, it really is because and I mean this is a, both a blessing and a curse um but the the player is more important than the team sometimes um, yeah and a lot of times I mean LeBron like is a is a prime example that like you know, then you're only as good as that one or two guys that are on your team. Um, I mean, I think that's why I was so excited to see a seven-game series in the Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Clippers because it would have been, like, I think the closest thing we would have really got to that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, and like you said, like, talent can bounce around so quickly and there's, like, you know, these duos that form um, – uh, and stuff like that, where you just really, I mean, I was trying to think when you're talking, I can't even think of like a, a, a true team versus team rivalry nowadays. Um, it's usually, like you said, it's usually just players just have a beef against each other. Yeah. Um, and then though there are two uh, subsequent teams uh, have issues. But yeah, I totally agree. I mean, and that's why like football rivalries never die. There's never one dude that's never bigger than them than the team because football is so different and that's how it used to be, basketball used to be but now it's 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 just really not you kind of just I feel like it's kind of just a like a, a three to four to five year span of two good teams just playing each other a lot and we kind of had that with the Cavs and the Warriors and then but even that I mean, wasn't really like a rivalry because the Warriors beat them so many times that it was kind of like one-sided near the end like that last year LeBron like you really looked at you look at that roster it's like yeah he doesn't really have a chance so, I mean, yeah, that that was that's the closest thing I think we could get to it. All right, moving into some more basketball news, kind of pivoting away from the last dance. Uh, the premiere, the the final episodes are this weekend, which I think should be great. I'm really looking forward to those. Yeah. I think they're gonna. This is actually the last thing they're gonna showcase the last shot. And a lot of people would say that's the biggest shot of his career. A hot take, or maybe not a hot take, because I think some other people would agree with me. But I think that shot against the Cavs in 89 was the biggest shot of Michael Jordan's career because it kind of elevated the Bulls to a winning franchise. And that Cavs team was pretty good. They had Craig Elo, uh, Ron Harper. Like That was no slouch of a team. So the fact that they were able to pull off that upset, I think that was the biggest shot of his career. Um, anyway, sorry for the side tangent there. Uh, ESPN released a list for the top 74 players in the NBA history. Uh, why 74, you ask? Because it is the 74th anniversary of the league. You had some very strong thoughts about said list. Take it away. The floor is yours. Yeah, so I I have kind of two points that are pretty closely tied. Um, but I think, you know, we're in quarantine. It's been like two and a half months without live sports. So I get it. You know, people are bored. We have definitely, I mean, recently in the rap industry, and I don't know if you are most aware of this, but we had a, we, there were people seriously arguing who's better, Kendrick Lamar or French Montana. It's not even remotely a conversation. It's Kendrick, it's, right? You know, we're bored. We got to have things to talk about. Twitter, Instagram, and the social media is always wanting these hot takes and the, and the first takes of the world. Uh, the first things first, and Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless, they need stuff to talk about. So I get it. I understand why ESPN would come out with this list. But I'll say it once, and I'll probably say it again. I think, especially in basketball, especially in basketball, a list with uh, players on it from different decades is incomparable. It is not worth comparing. And it's, it's, it's frankly, it's just a waste of time to even talk about. And now we're going to talk about it. So we're playing right into the trap of ESPN. <laughs> but that's what 
that's besides the point. I completely I, agree. I mean, I mean to to because you you talk about. I mean, we're comparing players where the three point line did not exist. Where I mean, one of the guys, I believe, it was George Mikan. Uh, no, it was it was no, yeah, it was George Mikan. He was one of the guys that made the rule goaltending. I mean, that's how far back we're going. And and Nick Wright said it on his show when they were talking about. Um, the guys in the 90s. Basketball is one of the prime examples of that. Every year, players get bigger, faster, stronger, better. So to compare a player in the 60s to a player now, it's just not even worth the time. And I think if you want to do eras, and I think it was perfect when we had the end of 20, 2019 going into 2020, there were debates of like who is the best players from the eras, during the decades, I, I mean. You know, the best player in the 2000s, best player in the 2010s. And that's totally fine. It's very apples to apples. And you can have, like, a, a true basis um, of, you know, what what, what what constitutes quality. But, okay, and if, if you're not going to do that, that's fine. If, if you're going to disregard what I have to say because I'm the smartest person in the world, that's fine. I, I understand. But to make this list of players where there are, there are active players on it is, is ludicrous. I mean... We're, we're, we got Giannis Antetokounmpo at 27. The last time I checked, the dude hasn't won jack squat except for one MVP, and he's just really tall and can dunk. I mean, you got Kevin Durant at 14, Steph Curry at 13. They at least won things, but have active players being compared to dudes who played for like 16 years and won six championships, it's stupid because you can't have it both ways. You're either going to debate the titles and the things that they've won over their career or you're going to debate the, the, the true skill that they have. I don't think you can do either one. Because obviously, you wanna, you'd want rather have Giannis or Russell Westbrook over these, these skinny white dudes who played in the 70s. That's, that's a fact. But, and so you put them at, like, I mean, top eight. I mean, if you're going to go, who would you rather have on a basketball team today? I mean, I think I'd take, you know, Giannis and these guys over some of the, 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 the 15s and the 14s. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just stupid. I don't, I don't think it is fair. I mean, to put Anthony Davis on this list, who's twenty-seven years old. It's like, what, what are we even talking about? Like, what do you want us to debate? There's no, there's no discussion to be had because it's just two completely different things. That was long, and I'll let you take it away. But that's how I feel. I don't disagree. Uh, you look like a guy like Will Chamberlain. He had a season where he averaged fifty and twenty-five. How are you supposed to compare that? To like someone today, and I mean, let's face it, he was he was facing a bunch of small white dudes, so like, of course he's gonna put up those numbers. But like, averaging fifty points a season, I think his career he averaged about thirty. Like, it, it's hard to not like with those numbers because those are the only way you can really stats don't lie. That's the only way you can compare people between eras. Like, I mean, you have to put him in the top ten. Um, so. I, I don't I do not disagree, but yeah, I think it's one of those those fun things to like yeah. debate or whatever. Did you have any problems? We'll, we'll go we'll, top ten first off. We'll, we'll yeah, go. The top ten is yeah. Uh, and the rest of it because I mean that's all really people care about. Number ten Shaquille O'Neal. Number nine Kobe Bryant. Number eight Tim Duncan. Number seven Larry Bird. Six Wilt Chamberlain. Five Magic Johnson. Four Bill Russell. Three Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Two LeBron James. And number one. Michael, Jeffrey Jordan, do you have any problems uh, with the top 10? Um, when we texted about this, I think my opinions have a little bit changed um, since we texted. Um, I think, I mean, I personally have uh, LeBron at number one. I think at the end of his career, he'll be number one. That's not a discussion we can unpack uh, now. Um, I also... I know, and, and you hit on it. I think uh, Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell are two guys that it's like, I, I don't know how much I value these guys um, when it comes to, like, all time. Uh, and I think I think Kobe Bryant should be higher. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking about it, and I'm thinking, you know, do I just really like Kobe Bryant, or do I actually think he should be higher? And then a lot of... Uh, a lot of analysts and looking at the numbers, I think he could be higher than what he is. I think I'd potentially put him at like six, maybe. Um, because
that's where it's like, you know, who are you going to get? I don't think, I don't think I put him over Magic Johnson or Larry Bird, but I think if we're, I don't know, it's just, it's just hard to, it's just hard to value Wilk Chamberlain and, and, and Bill Russell and those kind of guys. Um, and then I think the, the other thing is, I think Shaq is better than Tim Duncan. I think Shaq is, it's hard to because I mean I was my, I was trying to look and I'm like where did he go after the Lakers and he was like on the Cavs and the Heat he was on the Celtics yeah. I mean, good lord I mean that and that kind of taints him but I think prime Shaq dominant Shaq was just something we really haven't seen uh, ever in the NBA as like a dominant physical force mm-hmm. I mean oh my lord that man was that man was on something else um, but yeah I think he's better than Tim Duncan it's time. Yeah, it, if he wasn't so dang lazy, he could have been even better, which is, like, incredible to say. But he was, like, truly lazy. He didn't really care until the playoffs started. But um, I would probably put I would put him again ahead of Kobe, which is tough. But I would probably have him ahead of Kobe. And, you know, Tim Duncan, Shaq, it could go either way. Kind of yeah. interchangeable. Uh, but I actually think overall, I think the top ten is right. Like all those guys, I would, I would have. And there's no one in the top ten that I would have left off. Um, you know, as far as the Michael Jordan, LeBron James. As much as I like LeBron, I, I can't complain when you have Michael Jordan there uh, with all the six and zero in the finals, obviously, and scoring titles and MVPs and all that. Sixteen time All Star. So I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna complain, especially when he's kind of having his like shining moment with the documentary, and you know, he was a great defender too. So uh, time will come. I think when the when you get to the hundredth uh, anniversary, it'll be interesting to see because LeBron James is the only active player uh, in the top ten. So that's an accomplishment in itself. And all these people that want to knock LeBron for being number two, like, first of all, is that really an insult? In the history of the game, you're calling him the second best of all time. That's not that's not an insult. And everyone wants to compare him to Michael Jordan. I think realistically, and not saying, not saying uh, this guy is better than him, but I think comparatively, if you're looking at style of play strictly, he's closer aligned with a Magic Johnson than he is with a Michael Jordan. He's a facilitator out there, like Magic was. I think they're closely related. Obviously, a much better scorer than um, Magic was. But I think there's, if you want to compare guys, he's a better version of Magic Johnson. So, I mean, I, that's how I stand I think on that. I saw it described in one way, and I kind of agree, is that um, while Michael Jordan, I mean, Michael Jordan obviously had a better career than LeBron James. But, I mean, he won six titles. LeBron, LeBron only has three. Now he's still playing. Who knows? Maybe he'll get his fourth in Disney World this year. Um, <laughs> But I think people, someone described it as LeBron's a better player, but Michael Jordan had a better peak. Um, I feel like it's maybe fair to say. Um, I just think my, my two my two biggest things um, when it comes to this debate is just the longevity of, of LeBron's career is like insane. Yeah, I mean when when when, when the documentary gets to you know Michael Jordan is seventeenth year in the league and he's still averaging like twenty. I don't know. I think it was like twenty eight. LeBron is averaging this year. Um, I mean that that's that's truly insane. Oh yeah. I think uh, just and it's obviously it's hard because it's such a a subjective shoulda coulda woulda uh, type argument. But I just think uh, having uh, Michael Jordan with Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, perhaps one of the greatest coaches of all time, and Steve Jackson, and then these great. I mean, he's got role players up the wazoo. I mean, he's not, these are no J.R. Smith mm-hmm. and Tristan Thompson. This is Steve Kerr, Tony Kukoc, some really good players in the grand scheme of things. Oh, yeah. I think that's why, that's why the 96 Bulls, in my opinion, are the greatest team of all time. And, like, the Warriors yeah. that with Kevin Durant, even. Great team, but their depth could not match the Bulls' depth and the fact of how good they yeah. were defensively on the wing and vice versa. Anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt you there. Keep going. And, yeah, and I just think that that, 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 that is one thing that, um, Maybe just thinks like you know this whole six and zero argument is not as good of an argument as people make it seem because I mean that team was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And 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 that's the, the the one thing the last point I'll bring up because we're kind of on a top conversation. I truly, genuinely believe. I mean, you talk about hated guys. I think LeBron James is one of the most. He, he gets the most disrespect from a lot of the sports world. Um, as it gets, I mean, we got, like, these guys who are just out there to trash him. Skip Bayless and, like, these, these 
these these talking heads who just want to discredit everything he does. Like, yeah. A lot of people just take the three and six and just kind of run with that as like he doesn't have this killer instinct. Um, and you know, and that's that's one thing I truly appreciate more about LeBron James after this document. Obviously, not about LeBron James, but you know, it, they, they, Michael Jordan, LeBron James are somewhat intertwined. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about basketball for the rest of the years. Um, but I mean, when it comes to Michael Jordan, I mean, when are we going to get to the episode where he's like a good human being off the court? You know, and and, and then it's it's kind of a shame that like. You know, Jordan's got this 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 character of like win at all costs. I don't care about my teammates, yada yada yada, um, which is not really true. But that's kind of it's it's easy to see it that way. But I think LeBron, I think his off the court presence is something that is understated. And when we get to the last dance, J.R. Smith edition with LeBron, um, that'll be one thing that's that's talked about a lot that we kind of missed out with Michael Jordan. Um, but yeah. I I mean off the court I I I agree Michael Jordan I mean not Michael LeBron James is first class guy never been in yeah. trouble which is very impressive and all the stuff he does uh, that that's not to say though I don't think Michael Jordan's necessarily like a bad guy off yeah, the court no, no, that's not what, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah no that's I got what you. I'm, saying. I'm just saying it's I mean it, it, it kind of came off like that when they talked about the whole um, you know Republicans buy shoes to yeah um, that whole thing. Where it's like we see the opposite LeBron James, um, which mm. is nice to see in, in like a, a superstar these days. One more topic on this so, somewhat discussion. And this is a big thing that was floating around. They're saying, could Michael Jordan average 40 points in oh. today's NBA? And I'll be honest with you, I think he probably could. I think now some people were saying he could average like 50 or like no he, he would average low 40s to high 30s but uh, I think he's one of those guys athletically he ran like a 4.8 30 yard dash which is like insane so he's clearly athletic you can't hammer as hard and his like biggest strength was his game like where you could take it to the bucket and draw fouls he's a really good three throw shooter um, and now once he's in the air you can't like clobber him like the Pistons used to so I think I'm pretty sure he probably could average about 40 a game, or at least high 30s, at least. Um, I think he could not. Well, I mean, I don't know. What's, what's, I think, a, a, I think, a, I think he'd average what the, the superstars are averaging nowadays. I don't think it would be anything more. Um, That's fair. Than like the LeBrons, Kawhis, Kevin Durant. Um, just because I also think like, yes, it's true. He's not going to get punched in the mouth everyone uh, when he goes to the rim. But I also think that, like, there's a lot of players these days who are just, you know, and and it just kind of goes back to the point, you know, and being bigger, faster, stronger, better. I think he yeah. would just, you know, have these guys who are just bigger than what um, it was like in the 90s. Also, and this is not anything against him, but I think the league is just different. Well, I don't think... And I think Udonis Haslam, of all people, was the first person to kind of come out like this, where they're like, yeah, I'm not letting Michael Jordan talk to me like that. You know, I don't think he could be the true alpha dog. I mean, because, I mean, the closest thing we had to that, of yelling at your teammates, was Jimmy Butler. And the dude got ousted. You know? Yeah. Gets, this gets labeled as this, like, this bad presence and, like, this team killer. And you see how he was trying to be this true alpha in Philadelphia, and it didn't work. Because... You got, you got, Michael you got, Jordan, though, is a little bit more talented than a Jimmy Butler was. I heard in that oh. practice where Butler was yelling at everyone that was, like, so famous that he only scored, like, two points that practice. So Yeah, he, like, yeah, he did say it. But I, I'm not saying that, like, I'm just saying that there's two players have two big egos today to, to let that. I mean, yeah, that would be, I, yes. You had, we had, we had the number one and the number two, LeBron and Kyrie. And you know, Kyrie's kind of a bad case, but Kyrie wanted to do his own thing. You know, mm -hmm. I think the egos are too big to like have this like true dominance of a whole team like that. But then again, it's all speculation. Who knows? That is true. Well, he did. I, I'll give Jordan credit for this. He created Mamba mentality before like Mamba mentality was a thing. That's true. It's that yeah. killer instinct that I don't. Besides maybe Kobe. Kobe's the closest we'll ever see. I think yeah. to Jordan doing this. But like the killer instinct. Like is uh, unprecedented. Like he's like in the yeah. dream team. He's like I'm taking the last shot. He's screaming at teammates. Um, you know he wants the ball in his hands in the big moments. Is and the, the 
she's coming after guys in a regular season game, like the LeBradford Smith. Poor LeBradford Smith had no reason. And then he's coming at me like, you know, is yeah. the beefs he can come up with were very impressive. More yeah, beef. No, I totally agree. I, and I think that's what, um, that's one of the reasons that I think Kobe could be higher because he, he, he truly was the closest thing we saw to Michael Jordan. That is true. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, no, it's very impressive. I mean, Michael Jordan, he just had, I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to be like Horace Grant, you know, BJ Armstrong. Where you're just this guy and you're playing along with Michael Jordan. Mm. That'd be I think um, BJ Armstrong I think came across really good in the last episode too for the last yeah. dance. He he was like he came across very smart. He was a likable guy. Um Yeah. And I'll I'll tell you what, right now, I don't care if Michael Jordan drops hundred points on me the next game. If I was in his shoes and with the Hornets and I had that great game, I would I'd celebrate in front of him too. Because the thing with him is they're like, oh, he celebrated in front of him and then Michael Jordan, you know, went off. Michael Jordan is going to get something on you regardless. you drop 80 points regardless of what you do. If you walk past him without saying anything, like I want coach did, he'll torture you. Yeah, Rick Petit, yeah. He'll make make something up to torture you. So if I was was B.J. Armstrong, I'd celebrate right in front of the bench just like he did. John Calipari, that's who it was. He, like, all of a sudden, yeah, it was in the playoff game against the Nets, and Calipari's looking around like, why the hell is Jordan staring me down every time? He didn't do anything, but, like, Jordan made it up that Calipari disrespected him somehow, so he was going to take it out on him. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't blame B.J. Armstrong at all um, for, for that instance uh, either. Finally, moving on, uh, last topic is unfortunately the MLB is having some labor disputes as it is. I think this is ridiculous. I don't know who this got out to, and I'm assuming it was like why it got out was because like owners or players wanted some leverage in the situation. But whoever leaked this that like, oh yeah, they're risking they might not play or whatever during these um you know labor labor bigger than ever. The ratings would be through the roof. We need some sort of thing. People are losing their jobs or whatever. The fact that it comes across the optics of having millionaires and millionaire owners and players arguing with each other about salaries is ridiculous. Uh, I think out of all the players, like, you know, one, an athlete, you're probably going to be pretty healthy from the corona. You're in good shape. Two, if you do catch it, the MLB is going to have some of the best resources in the world. So the safety thing shouldn't really be an issue. Uh, they just, they got to figure this out because I've mark my words. If they, if they don't play this year, like everyone's cleared to play all of a sudden sports are back and baseball's not back because they're arguing over money. When people in America have lost their jobs, they, they will baseball is doomed. They will yeah. never recover from it. Yeah. And I know I totally agree. And I think, um, uh, and it's a it's a tough situation. I get both sides. Like you know, it's 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 hard. We're in the, the hard thing. And I think that's why I, I agree with you. That Michael did just wants baseball to fail. Um, but Blake Snell, um, the pitcher for the Rays, was on like a live stream, and he kind of I don't know how it got brought up, but he was like, you know, I'm I'm losing half my money uh, already, and then they want me to take another pay cut. And it gets taxed. He's like, I won't. And he's like, I'm going to risk my life um, and play uh, for you know the, for this like chump change. It's essentially what he made it sound like. They're taking all my money, and I'm like, look, dude, I t- I totally understand that it it blows that you know you got to take this pay cut um, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, and they want you to play anyways. But like you're a, you're still making a lot of money. B, a lot of other leagues are already doing this. I don't know. Like, and, and I was gonna get it to an end, but the Bundesliga is pretty much the first league that's starting up. The mm-hmm. German soccer league. They they were the because Germany got hit before we did. They took a pay cut a long time ago, and they're playing. And and I think basketball, they're gonna have to take a pay cut, and they all want to play. And I think it's like I understand. That money, that like you're not going to make as much money as you would have during a regular season, and that sucks. But like, you're you're a major league athlete, and uh, everyone's there's a lot of people who are tight for money right now. So to hear you be like, "Oh, I'm only going to make you know thirty percent of my ten million dollar contract. I'm only get three million. It's like, okay, come on, man. 
and I'm all for unions. I'm not saying the players shouldn't fight for a fair salary. Uh, and, you know, and actually, the Cubs have been kind of in the center of this whole thing because I know Ricketts was talking about because they just bought up all of Wrigleyville and they did the renovations. How they're going to be kind of hurting for cash, and how they like there's speculation that when this thing opens up, they they might try like a fire sale to try and like cut payroll or whatever. But I think even for like a team like the Cubs, if an owner is going to lose money, like yeah, that stinks. But the Cubs are worth a lot more today than they were 20 years ago. And 20 years from today, they're still going to be worth like the value is only going to increase. So they're going to make their money back. Or so as an owner, I would just bite the bullet. I mean, it's easy for me to say because it's not my money. But, you know, even like you look at these big markets like the Yankees, like they're worth more now today. Like bite the bullet, get it done. I don't care how it happens, but they they baseball needs to be played this season. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. It, 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 like you said, I mean, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, like whoever wins this argument is going to win, and we get baseball or we don't get baseball. But as like an onlooker, to see like these, you know, these millionaires, especially especially in times where everyone's at home and we're quarantined, and we've kind of gotten a window into what quarantine looks like for rich people versus what quarantine looks like for the rest of us. It's like, man, I wish that. Wish I could be quarantined in that massive house with all the food and, you know, these guys got their batting cages in their basements. Uh, and it's like, you know, that seems pretty nice right around now. And just to hear them squabble over money, it's like, oh, my Lord. It'll be interesting to see how college sports respond to this because some are going to open up before others. Like, I know Bradley said they're going to be open for the fall, which is huge. Yeah. I am so excited about that. Obviously, some good Very news. Happy. But there's other places like California. They've already extended their stay at home till uh, August. Um, so it'll be interesting to see because like not all the conferences are going to be aligned how they're going to get uh, those sports in. Um, I don't know. I think it's safe to say we probably won't have fan- live fans in stadiums uh, for this. The, the this this probably the rest of this year. Uh, I think, or at least the majority of it. Interesting side note. We'll finish on this too. We're going along with the live fans. The Cubs, they have those rooftops. They could potentially be, if because if restaurants open up, which some restaurants are slowly, say restaurants open up and you pass it off as like the uh, rooftop is like a bar, which most of them are, like a bar slash restaurant. Yeah. Those like 50 to 100 people on the rooftops could be the only people in America watching live baseball, not on television. I didn't even think about that. They'd be the only seats. Those seats would be... So expensive. Be, uh, a lot of money, yeah. How much... Yeah. Yeah, I've, wonder how much they would yeah. do. Well, I think they would sell out instantly, but... Oh, yeah. That's all I got for you. Uh, anything, any, any closing remarks? Real quick, I know we have not we have not talked about soccer in a very long time on this podcast, but soon soccer will be the only thing that's available to watch. Now, let's do so Bundesliga. If, yeah, the Bundesliga is back. It is a very tight race. Bayern's in first with 55 points. Borussia Dortmund in second with 51. RB Leipzig with 50. Borussia Mönchengladbach, which you're going to have to figure out how to say that once you become a super Bundesliga fan. They're with 49 points. All that is to say, it's going to be on this weekend. Watch it. It's very exciting. One of the best leagues in the world. Uh, so I hope you enjoy some soccer that I have enjoyed for many years now. It's not on at 2 a.m., is it? Huh? Well, what time is Bundesliga on? Because I tried watching oh, KBO. The early games are like, there's our games on it. on it. Oh, my Lord, I'm checking the ESPN app. I haven't checked the ESPN app in months. I'm here for it because I've been watching that KBO. Well, actually, I shouldn't say I've been watching. I watched the game. I'm a baseball fan, Tyler Saladino. Uh, he used to have this great mustache for the White Sox. He's in that league, so I'm like, all right, I'll check it out. I happened to put on one of the games. He was batting. It was 2 a.m., and he struck out, yeah. and I'm thinking, what am I doing with my life? I'm watching well, why, Korean why baseball at 2 a.m. on Sunday. Much more reasonable. Much more reasonable for live sports. I might have to check it out. That's all we got for you this week. I'm Mitchell Kaminsky. This is Marshall Macaluso. Yes, sir. Uh, Stay inside. Actually, if you go outside, wear wear a mask, too. Let's end this thing so we can get get some sports back. Um, Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week.